Hello. Welcome to another episode of Silicon Valley Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And we are bringing you a review of the show Silicon Valley. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 6, Artificial Emotional Intelligence. Aaron, first question. Did you watch the show? Yes. Are you going to stick with Silicon Valley? If we weren't doing this podcast, would you be sticking with Silicon Valley? Through the end of the season, probably, just in the off chance that it redeems itself. But if the season were to end today, I would not watch next season. So the episode description is, Richard decides to help out Lori. Gavin struggles to bargain with a new partner. Dinesh relishes a rare win. So you said if the season redeems itself, do you think that this episode put Silicon Valley on the path to redemption? I'm not sure. I think... More so than any other episode so far this season, Yeah, right? This was an incredibly average episode, but given how crappy the previous ones have been, I think I kind of liked it. And there were more themes that are applicable to what we do. Let me tell you what I liked about it. One, yes, they introduced legal concepts and it wasn't just you know, a soap opera. Two, I felt like Laurie had a momentary you know, weakness in character, and then she reverted right back to who she is, who we want her to be. Right. She didn't go off on some crazy tangent. She didn't automatic, you know, she didn't just flip out and become a character that we're not accustomed to. And I don't want to say that she grew. I guess she did grow in that she understood she made a mistake. She had this moment of weakness. And then she went back to being this total badass who just can make decisions irrespective of emotion. She, you know, very fact based, trying to do what she believes is best for the company. Contrasted against Richard, who has just been flat the entire season, right? He's just making one mistake after another. Here was another example of it, and he's not right. learning from anything. So I enjoyed that part about the episode. So let's walk through it. Jin Yang has his fake Pied Piper. Oh, okay. So here is a good reference for us. The cease and desist letter. Yes. Remember that uh, someone said to, to Richard, hey, just put up a cease and desist letter on your own website? Yeah. Did you understand that part of it? Well, let's take I mean, a step back. What's the cease and desist letter going to do? Basically puts them on notice that, hey, we see what you're doing, and if you don't stop, you know, we're going to sue you. You need to cease and desist. Yeah, it's usually the precursor to maybe a stronger letter or to an actual lawsuit. Is cease and desist redundant? Cease means to stop. Desist means to cease. So, yes, I would think so. Uh, so, it's a cease and to cease. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up because... I think cease means to stop immediately. I think desist means to unsist. What does unsist mean? What's the opposite of cyst? Uh, Cyst means doing something. So desist would be stop doing something. Ah, perfectly clear. (laughs) I don't think it's redundant. I'm going to guess. If if a lawyer named it cease and desist, it probably is redundant. (laughs) Because there was more billable hours. Yeah. You you know, everybody knows lawyers get paid by the word. I I will say we do write a lot of any or all. What would be the difference there? Right. right? (laughs) Yeah. And and purchaser agrees to execute any and all certificates, instruments, documents, agreements, the articles. Sale and conveyance. Right. Right. Don't those mean the same thing? Okay. So homework. What does desist mean and what does cyst mean? Also, did you pick up on who wrote that cease and desist letter? Was it Jared? It was the new assistant who also has a law degree. Oh, yeah, the lawyer. That's right. I thought that was funny that lawyers now interning at 
well-funded but poorly run startups in Silicon Valley. So yes, a cease and desist letter. I don't know that you would necessarily post it on your website. No. Doesn't seem like the best method of delivery. You definitely send it certified mail return (laughs) receipt requested. So let's just, since we're here, let's just talk about that for a sec. If you were going to send someone a cease and desist letter, one of the key mechanisms of proving that you you took reasonable steps to enforce your rights is that you actually delivered the notice to the other party. So that delivery, like Aaron said, the best way of doing that is certified mail. I don't think anyone sends anything certified mail anymore other than lawyers. And you do that to prove to delivery, hey, look, I sent it to this address and the post office went so far as for three bucks, give me a stamp and a sticker that says I sent it to that address. Doesn't necessarily mean the other side got it (laughs) or that they opened it. Now you can take that one step further. Return receipt request. RRR. The green envelope. So if you ever get a letter and it has a green card on it that they're going to, the uh, mailman is going to remove the card and then send it back to the mailer, to the sender. Mail carrier. The mail carrier, the mail person. Yeah. That is probably means you're being sued. Yeah. Right. Is there any other reason why you get a green card? No. Attached to your mail? No. So congratulations. You got a green card and you got sued. But Cease and desist, publishing it to your website does not seem to me like that would be a really good way of putting the other guy on notice. I guess all it's going to do is put the world on notice that you're take, doing your best to protect your rights. But Aaron, let's just say that there was a popular website we use. Let's just say, I don't know, I'll make one up that I maybe go to Reddit. Okay. And you went to Reddit and it said, Dear Fredit China, cease and desist all activities immediately. What's the first thing you would do? Uh, check out that cool website, Reddit. <laughs> so I feel like you're just sending users or, or consumers directly to the competitor. But anyway, that seems like an inappropriate way to deliver cease and desist, though that is the appropriate tool for such activity. All right. Now, Lori has made herself the interim CEO of... What was the name of that? Eclo. Eclo. The interim CEO of Eclo because the weird guy, Ariel, is now gone. Ran off with Fiona? Yeah, but she found her way back. Yeah. So Lori vomits. Yes. Because she's just nervous from being CEO. I guess. I don't know. I thought she was pregnant again. Can I say that? Is that inappropriate? I I don't know. (laughs) We'll see if that makes it into the final cut. So Richard sees this because Richard had gone to her to ask her to sign a Series B term sheet. Be curious to see the terms of that Series B term sheet. But then he sympathizes for her. Hey, I'm a CEO. I vomit right. all the time. You're a CEO. You vomit. Uh, let me help you out. So I'm going to help you out by giving you some credits and in integrating your technology. I guess they were undoing what they had done. There was a code sprint to do something there. So there was a code sprint to, to repair all of the code that That's right. Eclo or Fiona or Ariel or whoever had screwed up. And then I on guess top of that, Eclo still needed computing power. So that's why Pied Piper was going to give them computing credits. So let's talk about how that would actually happen. Let's just assume that Pied Piper has these computing credits where it allow people to tap into their network. Do you think that computing credit would come in the form of, say, a token? Yes, it would absolutely be a token. And that's why I think they're setting this up for some sort of token offering. Yeah. And I didn't understand that until the very end when they made reference to it, right? Did you watch Scenes for the Next? No. In Scenes for the Next... Someone comes up and says, what if I had another way to raise money, right? Right. So that'll be a really interesting conversation between us. But I am now wondering if the new internet is a function of some sort of token system, or it just so happened that they created something, probably the latter, but they created a concept which could really plug in nicely to a token type system. Right. Yeah. Going into the computing credit issue, 
I guess we we find out that Lori has sold the computing credits to somebody else, which seemed a little far-fetched to me because I would assume that if Pied Piper is giving computing credits to Eklo, there's some sort of underlying document or mechanic whereby they can't just So first of all, that. yes, that was my – I had the same thought. Okay, there's contractually – I don't think they're going to be able to resell this or turn around and give it to someone else. Secondly, let's just assume they could. Wouldn't there be some sort of login or password or something like that? Right. So if I give you computing credits, you have to go redeem them somehow right. with a code or whatnot. And then if you're going to use Jared's in, or excuse me, Richard's internet or Pied Piper's new internet, I'm assuming you have to log on. So this would make me think that Lori is either Richard's new internet, anyone can log into it, right. or Lori is giving her username and password for her $110 million funded company to someone else. None of which makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, and this is going to display my ignorance when talking about utility tokens, but unless there is some way by which you can transfer utility tokens without them being tied to a specific user, and and so you could have somebody, which, again, doesn't make sense since Pied Piper's still in the sort of beta stage. Yeah, I think possibly you're right. You probably could do that. But then in my mind, that gets rid of the whole purpose of tokens. And this is a different conversation. But one of the great things about tokens from the clients we've seen, the people we've seen try to use them, is you can track all sorts of metrics, right. data, who's using it, even if you're going to depersonalize or anonymize that data. Right. So yeah, that part was a little far-fetched. And I feel like the show, we've talked about this before, they could have done a very a couple of very simple things where Lori could just said, yes, I sold the credits and the key and the encrypted key that you gave me right, right to use them. Right. Anyway, I know that Silicon Valley doesn't have a whole lot of time to pacify us throughout the episode, but just seemed a little unbelievable to me. Back to this decision Richard makes. So one thing that was interesting, Aaron, is Richard says, well, I feel like I made a good decision. I made a good personal decision for for someone. I made a good personal decision that was outside of necessarily being a business decision. So now he goes and makes a personal decision, which feels good in the moment. And I think Lori was very appreciative and it probably bought him some goodwill with her. It was just a disaster, right? Because yeah. she she gave it to someone else, so now someone else has access. She's not even using it anymore. I think Lori is foreshadowing what could happen to Pied Piper yeah. if Lori were to come in here. So, Aaron, let's talk about the real legal theme of this episode, which was the Series B term sheet. Yeah. So Richard is leveraging Lori's kind of problems that she's having to try and get her to quickly sign a Series B term sheet. So first of all, when you hear Series B term sheet, how big are you thinking that term sheet is in terms of investment amount? Well, it depends. Are you in the are you on the West Coast or are you in Texas? Let's just assume it's Silicon Valley. If you're in Silicon Valley, I'm thinking in maybe the tens of millions. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. At least ten, probably thirty to fifty. Yeah. So if you're at a thirty to fifty, let's just say you're a thirty million dollar valuation and you want to give up about 20 to 25% per round. So let's assume they're going to give up 25%. That means they'd have to be a $90 million pre-money valuation today, mm-hmm. plus $30 million gets to 120 post. Now, they just raised $10 million. How long ago do you think they raised that $10 million? Right, when Bream Hall first funded. Right. Uh, What's the linear timeline, you think, of the, of the show? I think we're maybe 12 to 18 months down the road. Okay. I, I would think a little on the shorter side, so six to 12 months. But if they're 18 months and their startup increased from, let's just assume when they raised 10 million, they're at a 30 or $40 million pre, then that would make sense. You could go from 40 to 90 in 18 months. If they're doing it in six months, that would be pretty pretty absurd. I mean, I guess possible, some of these super high growth companies. Well, I, I haven't really heard them talk at all about revenues. And mm-hmm. you know, granted, 
I think it's a little bit different in Silicon Valley. I think there's not as much of a focus on revenues as there is here in Texas. Mm-hmm. But still, if they're just if they have their octopipers and those are sort of the beta testers, then it seems a little early to me. Let me give you a reason why it might make sense. So I was just at the Collision Conference, which anyone who's in our space, I'd highly encourage you to check it out. It was a lot of fun. I was listening- Humble brag. <laughs> I was listening to a VC panel and they were talking about one guy said, it was a guy from Kleiner Perkins, actually, someone asked, what's the most important thing to you? And he said the two T's, team and TAM. What do you think the other team was? Traction. Team? Traction. No, nope. yeah. TAM, total addressable market. Now, I think if you're talking to Kleiner Perkins, you probably have pretty significant traction, right? I would hope. But that's the thing about Richard is his total addressable market might be as big as anyone's ever going to be. Yeah. It's the whole world. Right. So that's a reason why his startup could be valued so quickly or the increase could be there. But I thought that was interesting. Team and total addressable market. And then there was a guy from Kosla sitting next to him and he said, well, I will throw one more T in their timing. And that kind of gets with the traction yeah. piece, right? That you're talking about. I will take this opportunity to reiterate something we've said time and time again. Raise money when you don't need it. Yes. Right? When you ask for money, people give you advice. When you give ask for advice, people give you money. So try and get out there and raise before your coffers are all uh, dried up. That, do coffers get dried up? What is a coffer, Aaron? Uh, somebody who's sick. <laughs> but yeah, don't wait to to raise funds until you're you know completely drained of all cash or resources. Okay, so back to the Series B term sheet. We talked about if this is a, a legit Series B, first of all, the circumstances with which he's trying to raise this and just using Lori's vulnerable position, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But the timeline... At a minimum, you would want to be, you know, you would think you're 12 to 18 months out, most likely. Usually, well, I don't know. I guess you do see companies there in an Uber who would raise, you know, 100 million, then six months later, raising 500 million. That ostensibly could make sense. If they are raising that much money, then I guess this is what you were asking about the traction. What for, right? Like, what are they doing? They've got the Octopipers. Where is this Series B money going to go? Right. I mean, they already aqua hired more right. developers and more engineers than they need. I think they paid $2 million for that, right? Right. So they've already got 30 engineers who are just running around doing silly things for Dinesh and Guilfoyle or in their little code battle. So if they do go through with the Series B, you're going to have to see them move into some huge office space because it's not as if they need money to go market in China or something. It's not like Uber who's trying to open up a bunch of different markets or Airbnb who needs that money to hire people in many different markets. All of their work seems to be, would make sense to be very centralized. So that part is a little uh, confusing to me. It just kind of makes me wonder, you know, what's the storyline going to be with that? Um, Let me bring up a couple more points, Aaron, before we get out of here. The first one is Jared's character continues to grow, right? We've been talking a lot about how Richard's character won't grow. Jared's character continues to grow as he's now, recognizing it needs to pull away from Richard, how much fun are you having with Dinesh's one-liners or he jokes? kills me. Season one, season two, I used to think Dinesh was funny. Now I just don't find him funny at all. I think it's the character is written in such a way that it's just such a try-hard character. It is trying so hard to be funny, I think. I can't tell if it's trying to be funny or if it's trying to be desperate. Did you see the movie that he was in recently? Wasn't he in some... The Big Sick? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great, right? Yeah. I think... And he's Kamel funny. Nanjani as a as an actor is great. Right. But I think this character is just so the, garbage. So the writing, yeah. They're they're really struggling there. Yeah, I agree. That part was, was pretty frustrating or boring, but also just the whole 
the conclusion of the Guilfoyle Dinesh challenge here, where Guilfoyle had the whole thing mapped out, was entirely predictable. I know you're tired of Dinesh. It's almost like this whole Dinesh and Guilfoyle hate each other. I almost liked it better when they were buddying up against Richard there right. for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. That, that storyline is getting old. I know that's a constant theme with what we're saying about all the storylines. Uh, let's talk finally about Gavin's trip out to China. Yeah. So first question is, this episode spent a lot of time trying to dispel this notion that China is a, you know, a super employer driven, not, they don't care about the employees. They're not friendly to the employees. Everything is just work, work, work culture. And they took some time to try to dispel that. They had the guys doing yoga. They had the juice bar. The owner of the manufacturing plant was making a big deal about going out and saying, this is the new China. This is the new China. I don't know a whole lot about that. Have you read anything on this? What's your understanding of that? Don't really have much insight to that at all, except I will say, I do find it sort of amusing that here you have Gavin Belson coming from Silicon Valley to China. Silicon Valley, the place where they do have offices that operate like that, where there is yoga at the office, where there is much more of a employee-friendly workplace. You have somebody like Gavin who goes to China and is frustrated by right. this, which to be fair, that, that falls perfectly in line with Gavin's with his character. character. But Hooli, because we've seen in episodes when they first started the thing, Big Head was working there. Entire teams of developers were just hanging out, right? They weren't even doing anything. So it makes you wonder at some point in time, Gavin really bought into all that stuff. Right. And now he's now cycled out of it. Yeah. And then China is now cycling into it. Right. So that could be a little deeper theme, which is interesting. Yeah, the only stuff that we ever read about China is really bad, yeah. like the um, Foxconn plants Foxconn. and stuff like that. So hopefully things are turning around out there. The whole Jin Yang ending there, I thought that was great. You know, this was this was really good where Jin Yang is building his team out there. And that is exactly what I would think a startup looks like out there. Just guys in was basically an apartment, right? Yeah. 20 guys at desks just hammering away coding. And so Gavin comes in and says he wants to buy their company. And Jin Yang, who now is one of the smarter characters on the show, says, I'm not sure why you want my tech, but you, the fact that you want it makes me think it's really valuable. So I'm not going to give it to you until you tell me why you want it. I think the smartest businessman on this show is, is Jin, Jin Yang. Yang. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's smarter than Richard, smarter than Gavin, smarter than Ehrlich, Ehrlich smarter than a lot of people. Yeah. That's a great point. He is the smartest businessman. So, But now he sells his business to... The owner, of right? The Chinese, of the Chinese manufacturing, manufacturing company. Yeah. Oh, and Denpak was really, really insistent that they go get some dim sum somewhere, yeah. right? Couldn't understand that. I, I didn't either. I mean, I guess it was funny. That guy, Denpak, has just, he is writing some sweet coattails, man. At least Hoover, I think, is working. Yeah. He's trying to do something and he cares about Gavin. Denpak is just using up those corporate funds. Are you saying that? The spiritual advisor to Gavin Belson isn't actually right. working. Not, I, I yeah. would disagree because <laughs> I'm I'm backing away from the microphone on that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the end of Jin Yang that was great. Makes me a little sad. Maybe Jin Yang's not going to be here anymore if he's now sold his new internet. I think we'll see more his Jin new Yang. Pied Piper. Okay, I hope so. So that about wraps it up. In summary, Richard continues to make terrible decisions. Lori has a momentary lapse in judgment, but she reverts right back to herself, which I enjoyed. Gavin seemed to be himself. And, you know, I don't understand the rivalry between Hooli and Pied Piper, or really even between Gavin and Richard, but at least 
Gavin's character seems to be consistent and Hooli's doing something now. Now this is a way for Hooli to get into the new internet game, which I feel like they needed a way to do that. Yeah, I think going back to the source of competition and, and friction between Gavin and Richard, I think it's really that Gavin, when he was having his meltdown last season, gave away the patent for right. the new internet. And I think he really regrets that because yeah. deep down he is wanting to maximize profits. He's a capitalist. Yeah. 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 And that, that makes sense to me. All right. So this wraps up season five, episode six, artificial emotional intelligence. I want to remind you a few things. If you're here in Dallas and you're listening in a timely fashion, check out the Digital Dallas Startup Comedy Roast. That is going to be on May 23rd. We have several clients who will be roasted at that. It's a ton of fun if you haven't been there before. You can get tickets at digitaldallas.org. As always, if you have questions or comments, please hit us up, podcast at velawoodlaw.com. Show notes, which includes helpful links and definitions, can be found on our blog at velawoodlaw.com. Just look for this in our blog, this episode in our blog, or go to the iTunes episode description and look at the link there. And finally, remember, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Silicon Valley Review. Five stars only. Thank you. The Velawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at